SQPN presents The Secrets of the Lord of the Rings. The battle for Middle-earth is about to begin. Where do you travel to find Middle-earth? How can you fight the shadows of Angmar? Created the dwarves. I thought I'd die fighting side by side with an elf. Why are elves immortal? You will linger on in darkness and in doubt. It's nightfall in winter that comes without a star. What is the ultimate evil of Sauron? Join me on a quest for answers through the books, the movies, and the games that tell us the legendary adventures of hobbits, dwarves, men, and elves in Tolkien's Middle-earth. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Secrets of the Lord of the Rings. Today, we are in the Old Forest. The old forest is a very gloomy place. If I look around me, I don't feel comfortable at all. Huge trees. It feels very threatening. It's misty. And there's almost nothing here but trees. There's a path here that turns around a corner all the time. You really can't tell what's lying ahead, but I've already been attacked several times while I was trying to struggle my way through the thick bushes and the trees here in the old forest. The old forest is a, is a very ancient place. It's one of the few survivors of the primordial forest which covered most of Eriador in Middle Age, in Middle Earth, before the Second Age. And, uh, once it was only the northern edge of a much bigger forest that reached all the way to the Fangorn Forest. In the east, uh, the forest is bordered by the Barrow Downs, and in the west, by the Hay, which is a large hedge which uh, the hobbits of Buckland cultivated after they cut the forest to make room for their new homes. Now, the hobbits were very wary of the old forest. They believed that the trees of the old forest were in some manner awake and that they could be very hostile. And uh, when they would approach the, the old forest, they would hear the, the leaves whisper in the wind, even though there was no wind. And they could hear voices in the night, almost as if the trees were talking to each other and were luring travelers deeper into the forest. At one time, when the trees grew too close to the hedge, the hobbits cut down the trees that were nearby and they created a clearing by a bonfire. And ever since that moment, the trees were even more hostile towards the hobbits. And I have to say, it's, it's a very gloomy, almost a dreary place can't see much and even though it's it, it might be night there is still a little bit of green light that that kind of you know shows me a bit of the trees 
but you can always be attacked here by wolves or aggressive birds. And at one point I was just walking around here on a path. And one of the trees on my right hand side started to move. Literally lifted his its roots from the ground and started to walk towards me and tried to try to crush me. These forests are alive. And I can imagine that the hobbits were, were afraid. And the reason that we are in the old forest today is that I'm looking for one of its inhabitants. And it's not a tree, it's not a wolf, it's not a bird. I'm looking for a man, or at least I think it's a man. And he should be somewhere here in the neighborhood. Here is a, a river. And on my left here is a waterfall, a small one. You can hear the water. And it has to be somewhere here. I was told that there was a house. We're on the east side of the old forest. Let's turn right here. And the, the road in the forest is sloping upwards. On the left hand are just these huge trees towering above me, very menacing. And now that I'm approaching the top of this hill, I can see that the mist is actually clearing up a bit. I can see the contours of a house, a wooden house, or it seems to be, it has a wooden roof, and I hear music. There is a small wooden staircase that leads up to the front door of the house. The house itself is a almost an octagonal building, and it has a, a wooden balcony that goes all the way around it. And here is a nicely carved wooden door and I can see light on the inside so let's open the door and see if uh, the person that lives here is actually at home. Let's walk in. Right. Nice music here. This is a, an almost a round room and there is a table here in front of me, some chairs and on the table, some food, bread, and water. Here's a fireplace, it's not lit. Probably because it's not too cold. And uh, here's another small room, let's see. What's this? Oh, this is a kitchen. And I can see uh, a table where apparently someone has been preparing food. Some logs, some wooden logs to throw into the fire you want to cook but no one's here so let's go back to the main room of this small house here's a staircase that leads upwards and there's a door to probably our sleeping quarters but the door is locked so I can't go in great music here but I didn't come here to listen to the music I wanted to see if the person that I'm searching for is here, so I'm going outside again. Perhaps he's walking around uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of this building. Walking down the wooden stairs and... Let's just walk around the house here. Here is a, a small shed. Again with a 
a roof made out of wood, and here, on the back of the house, there are some small gardens. Some plants growing here. This is probably the place where the guy that lives here cultivates food or flowers to, to embellish his house. Here's a small a wall, a stone wall. And beyond it, <laughs> if I look down, there is a, a river all the way down there and, and a huge tree near the river. And there's a, a violin playing here. But where, oh where, is the owner of this house? Wait a second, that could be him. That could be him. Here is a small fellow. He's a bit smaller than I am. And uh, he's got a, a brown pair of trousers and a blue skirt. He's got a long beard and a pointed hat with a blue feather on it. Let's see who he is. I think his name is Tom Bombadil. Yes, that's it, and he salutes me and says, Hello, merry friends. <laughs> and he seems to talk in rhyme. <laughs> and he's just, he's a kind of a funny guy. He's, when he walks, he's almost dancing and humming to himself. So this is Tom Bombadil, and he lives here in the old forest, or at least in, at the fringes of the old forest. And uh, even though... He looks like a simple guy, he is not. I think behind the facade of this simplicity could be a lot of wisdom and also a lot of power in a certain way. He definitely knows the place here. He is married to uh, Goldberry, his wife, and she's also called the daughter of the river. And I, I met her when I was rocking, walking around here in the, the old forest. She is uh, standing near the water, not far from here. But we won't go there because I'm too afraid to be attacked by these big trees again. Now, Tom Bombadil, he's a, he's a merry guy. He, uh, he's always singing. He loves music. He speaks in rhyme. And uh, I wonder what, what he is. You can't really tell. You know, with his beard, he could be a dwarf. But, you know, he's a bit too tall to be a dwarf. He's also a bit too, too tall to be a hobbit. A hobbit. Although he has certain traits, the way he dresses, you know, looks like a hobbit. He could also be an elf, but then again, I've never seen an elf with a beard. Um, and he could be human, but he's, he's again, he's a bit small for, for a human being. So what exactly is he? I, I don't know, it's, it's very mysterious, and Tolkien doesn't give us any clue what he is. He's not an angelic creature, he, he could even be a god, but I, I don't think that that's the case. Now, this mysterious Tom Bombadil first appears in the story of the Lord of the Rings when Merry and Pippin, the two friends of Frodo, are trapped by one of the trees that is walking around here in the old forest. A tree called Old Man Willow, or that's uh, how Tom Bombadil calls the walking tree. And uh, Merry and Pippin are really in danger, and Frodo cries for help. And that is when Tom Bombadil arrives, and he commands the Old Man Willow to release the two hobbits. And he sings the tree to sleep. And then he invites the hobbits in his house that we just visited for a while. 
and that's where they get to meet Tom Bombadil. Tom is extremely old, and you can tell by his beard that he's uh, he's old, <laughs> but he is much older than anyone else that we've met in the in the in the world of Middle Earth. Gandalf calls Tom Bombadil the eldest being in existence, and this is also evident by his Sindarin name, and that name is Irwain Ben Adar. And in Sindarin it means the eldest and fatherless. He doesn't have a father. He's that old. Dwarves call him Forn, which is Scandinavian. It means something like ancient or belonging to the distant past. And the men call Tom Orald. And all these names apparently mean something like eldest, the oldest guy in this universe. Treebeard, another walking tree, calls himself the eldest living being of Middle-earth. But, uh, you know, he's just one of the characters walking around. He doesn't know anything, and I'm not sure that he knows of Tom Bombadil and knows the story of Tom Bombadil. So, according to Tolkien, Bombadil is definitely the eldest being in Middle-earth. Now, when the hobbits uh, go with Bombadil to his house, and they talk with him, and let's go back in the house. I feel safer there <laughs> with all these dangerous creatures outside. So, when the hobbits are talking with uh, Tom in, in, in his house in the woods, uh, they discover something incredible. They talk about the ring, and, and then Tom takes the ring from Frodo, and the hobbits discover that this, the one ring that seems to be able to have an incredible influence on almost anyone that touches it has no power over Tom Bombadil. And Tom can even see Frodo when... He puts on the ring and disappears. No one can see him, he becomes invisible, but Tom can still see Frodo, as if he wasn't wearing the ring. And even when Tom puts on the ring himself, he does not become invisible like the other people. He even tosses the ring in the air and makes it disappear for a while and then produces it from his other hand and returns it to Frodo. So he, he just plays around with this dreaded ring. Now, how is this possible? How can this be that Tom Bombadil is not affected by the power of this horrible one ring? If we look at what Tolkien uh, tells us about Tom Bombadil, we might get a, a clue. And I quote here from Tolkien himself. Tolkien says, I might put it this way. The story of The Lord of the Rings is cast in terms of a good side and a bad side. It's beauty against ruthless ugliness. It's tyranny against kingship, moderated freedom with consent against compulsion that has long lost any object save mere power, and so on. But both sides, in some degree, according to Tolkien, conservative or destructive, won a measure of control. But if you have, as it were, taken a vow of poverty, if you have renounced control and take your delight in things for themselves without reference to yourself, watching, observing, and to some extent knowing, then the questions of the rights and wrongs of power and control might become utterly meaningless to you and the means of power quite valueless. So I think that's a very telling quote of, of uh, Tolkien about Tom Bombadil. This is perhaps the only person in Middle-earth that doesn't care at all about power 
or control. And that's perhaps the, the reason why when he walks, he's almost like dancing. This must be a very free person. He's free of any, of any, of any, you know, real relation to to power or possession or you know anything that that we human beings like to like to have or, or you know like to possess. And since he is not searching for power, the ring that is all about power and and uses the desire that is in almost all these beings in Middle-earth for power, for control, to seduce them to the dark side, as it were, this ring has no grip whatsoever on Tom Bombadil. Now let's go back to, to Tom, who's walking outside here. And uh, <laughs> oh, he walked around. He's now walking in his gardens on the, in the back of the house. And... Um, so, so since the ring is all about power and Tom is completely free of the desire of power, the ring can't control him. So one question that I ask myself is, why didn't he carry the ring? Why didn't the people of Middle-earth, Gandalf and the elves, entrust the ring to Tom Bombadil? I mean, he would, would have been a better choice even than Frodo. And, and Frodo is a very modest guy, not at all in search for power, but, but still Frodo is vulnerable to the power of the ring, to the seduction of the ring. So why didn't they give it to Tom? Well, the reason that Gandalf had objections to it, and they talked about this, you know, in the council of Elrond, but, but Gandalf said, you know, even though Tom would be free of the power of the ring and its seductions, you know, <laughs> he's a bit of a carefree guy. He just dances around, walks around, and <laughs> in his... In his simplicity, he might inadvertently lose the ring or just toss it aside or misplace it in some place where someone else could grab it. And that would be disastrous, of course, for Middle-earth. And it would be a catastrophe if the, if the one ring would fall into the wrong hands. So that is the reason that they didn't give it to Tom Bombadil, even though it's, it's extremely special that, um, you know... Uh-oh, I don't like this music might be that some dangerous lurking so even though though Tom Bombadil is is, is like the only person that is uh, you know free of the power of the ring so Tom is all about peace and not about power and uh, he doesn't care about about war about possession Uh, and in an ideal world that would be fantastic If, if everyone would be like Tom Bombadil Middle Earth would be heaven however (laughs) This is not that ideal world. This is a world full of danger, full of creatures that have not chosen the light, but the dark. People that can easily be seduced by everything that leads to death and destruction. And in this reality of Middle-earth, Sometimes war is necessary to protect what is of great value. Tom, in all his freedom and you know, in all, in, in all his, his, his beautiful perspective on life, Tom would still not be able to stop Sauron, no matter how friendly he is. So sometimes in this world, war is justified, I guess. It's not good, but it's sometimes necessary. Tolkien says about Tom, you know, Tom has a natural pacifist view. 
And that always arises when, when there is war. You know, people long for this kind of peaceful attitude. However, the view of Rivendell seems to be that it is an excellent thing to have this peaceful attitude represented in the world, but there are in fact things with which it is, with which, with which this attitude cannot cope. Basically the threat of evil. And upon which existence, uh, upon which it, its existence nonetheless depends. So Tom depends on the protection of this of this freedom and some people going to war to protect Middle-earth. Ultimately, only the victory of the West will allow Bombadil to continue or even to survive, according to Tolkien. Nothing would be left for him in the world of Sauron. So, Tom seems to understand this because at one point in the story of the Lord of the Rings, he gives Frodo and the other hobbits even daggers so that they can defend themselves when they are in danger. So he doesn't ask the hobbits to, to sing a song to make the enemy go to sleep. <laughs> they don't have that power. They need to defend themselves. So Tom is really an extraordinary, mysterious and strange, awkward figure in, in the world of Middle-earth. It's great to be around him, but at the same time, you never really understand what his role is. And... Um, Tolkien told us that he deliberately kept Tom as a mystery in the story. He said that, you know, in any narrative, in any myth, in any fairy tale, some things should remain mysterious and shouldn't be explained and, and should remain a mystery even to its inventor, to Tolkien himself. So even Tolkien doesn't really know who Tom Bombadil is or what he is. And a mystery is not a riddle or a puzzle that you can solve somehow once you know the solution. The difference between a riddle or a puzzle and a mystery is that a mystery can never be solved. A mystery is always greater or deeper than our minds can grasp. And I think that is why God is also called a mystery in theology. Not that we know nothing of God. I mean, we see traces of his love everywhere and we know of his love from Jesus, but still God ultimately remains a mystery. We will never be able to grasp God, to understand him. He always transcends us and that is why he is God. I mean, if we could grasp him with our minds, <laughs> he would be just like us. He would be a creature, he wouldn't be God. So Middle Earth, and I really like this about Middle Earth, also has these mysteries. It's not a one-dimensional, rational, flat world. It's multi-layered. It's a deep world. It's spiritual and not just rational. You know, some people, when they walk around in the real world, they think that everything can be explained. They have a very rationalistic worldview. Science is there to explain everything, and the things that we don't understand, it will come in time. Everything is ruled by the laws of physics, and there's nothing beyond that. Everything else is just fairy tales in our imagination, running wild. However, I think that Tolkien points us to the importance to acknowledge that mystery has a place in our universe, and a very important one. And there are many mysterious things in our world, just like in Middle-earth, that we will never be able to grasp with our minds, even if we get, you know, 1,000 times better in, in, the, in, in knowing the, the laws of physics and the laws of mathematics and everything. 
Take, for instance, the most fundamental theme in the story of The Lord of the Rings, and that is love. Love that pushes Frodo to sacrifice his own life, to carry the ring, to put his own life in jeopardy, just as a sacrifice for his friends and to preserve what he thinks is more valuable than his own life. That sort of love, for me, is completely non-rational. It completely defies the laws of logic. And yet it's there in the heart of Middle-earth. And it's this mysterious love that brings about the solution to the evil power that seems to threaten Middle-earth, that almost destroys Middle-earth. It can only be defeated by this love, and this love that is a mystery that cannot really be explained. Even though this old forest is full of danger, I like this place of Tom Bombadil, and, and you can tell that Tom is very close to whatever or whoever created this world. In his peaceful manners, in his way, he kind of expresses this love that is always deeper and more mysterious than we will ever, ever be able to, to grasp. And love, in its essence, is also very creative. It creates peace. It creates beauty. It creates everything that is opposed to the horrors of the old forest. So this place here, near the house of Tom Bombadil, is like an oasis of peace. An oasis where it's good to be. But unfortunately, we have a battle to fight. We still have to go back from this hill down, <laughs> down into the woods, down in, on the paths of our life where we have to fight the sometimes very difficult and dangerous battle against evil. And we might hope that there will be one day in the future where everything in the world will be like this beautiful place of Tom Bombadil, <laughs> where there's music, where there's peace, where people can live protected from anything that menaces us. <laughs> I hope so. I hope that this will come about in our real world just like it happened in Middle-earth. And with that, we end our tour of the old forest and Tom Bombadil's house. And we go back to the reality of this podcast, which is talking about <laughs> the secrets of the Lord of the Rings. And now, it's time for some email. No, thank you! We don't want any more visitors, well-wishers, or distant relations. And what about very old friends? I want to thank everyone who, uh, who sent me email or feedback on the previous two episodes of The Secrets of the Lord of the Rings. And I received some emails that I want to read to you. The first one is from one of our youngest listeners, at least one of the youngest ones that actually wrote me an email. Dear Father Roderick, my name is Nick and I'm 13 years old. I'm probably the youngest listener of yours and I want to tell you that I think your podcast is great. I'm a great fan of Tolkien and I am going to read this new book, The Children of Hurin, over the summer. And I will, happy, I will be happy to write you a review. Keep up the good work. P.S. I thought that going over the similarities and the differences of The Lord of the Rings' Shadow of Angmar, which is the game, The Lord of the Rings game, and the real book, the Lord of the Rings would make a good thing to compare on the podcast. And yes, we, we will do that whenever we see differences. I will surely mention them. So thank you for your email. I received another one from Ray Gonzalez from Irvine in California. And Ray writes, um, 
Let me first say that I love what you are doing in the Lord of the Rings podcast. I stumbled on your latest work by chance, and I really enjoy your presentation. I also have to admit that if all you ever did was take us into your gaming experience and just walking around in Middle-earth, that would be enough for me. I thoroughly enjoy the walkthroughs that you've given us and could close my eyes and listen to that for hours. I am a MMO gamer, which is a multiplayer... What is it? Multi... <laughs> multi-something online role-playing game, <laughs> the MMORPG. So he's a gamer, and um, and he writes, I've been looking for info on Lord of the Rings Online since its conception. My main concern is that I have no clue how much we are going to be charged on a monthly basis after having to buy a fairly expensive game to begin with. Thus far, I've not been able to convince myself that I need this game, but <laughs> after listening to your walkthroughs, I am... Uh, I'm feeling that I'm missing out on something. <laughs> well, yes, it is a great game. It's it's beautiful how the creators of this Lord of the Rings game created the the whole Middle Earth, and and it, it's spot on. You know, when I was walking around in old, in the old forest, and and I, I I was reading the book, it is exactly the way that Tolkien describes it. You know, the the, the hobbits are living in the same spot. They have this hedge. Uh, they have cut down trees. You can see it for real. And on the other hand, you can you can visit all the other you know boundaries, and, and you can go even within the old forest. You encounter the same kind of dangerous creatures that Tolkien describes in his in his books. So that that alone, for me, you know, aside from the gaming element, even if you're not into that, it's still a lot of fun just walking around in Middle Earth. Although there are some places that you really need to play the game to get there, because otherwise you get killed immediately. And even, you know, to get here for the podcast, to be able to show you around in the old forest was a very, very hazardous uh, enterprise. <laughs> because I, at, at, at several times I, I, I almost got killed. So that's how much I, I value you as listeners. I'm risking my life in order to show you around in the old forest. I received another uh, follow-up email from Lo- Lois, uh, Lois, Lois, Rose from Maryland, who also uh, mailed me the other, um, you know, for the second episode, and was a bit disappointed about the first episode and saying that I was talking too much about the game and and not enough about the world that Tolkien created and about the mythology in the books. But she write, now writes, I just had to write you again and let you know that I listened to the second Secrets of the Lord of the Rings episode and it was excellent. This one struck a good balance between the book, the game, and the mythology. Keep up the great work. So that's, that's great to hear. And, and, you know, I really welcome all the feedback. If you like certain things, tell me. If you don't like certain things, tell me as well. Because that's the way that I can adapt and, and can make this podcast uh, so that you enjoy it. I mean, after all, I'm not doing this for myself. I'm doing it for you as an audience. So let me know. Uh, here's another email greetings Father Roderick I just found your podcast on iTunes that's funny by the way how many people discovered this podcast you know just by going to iTunes and searching for terms like Lord of the Rings Uh, and I have listened to the first two episodes I enjoyed both very much when I first started listening and I realized that you were a Dutch Catholic priest podcasting about gaming and the Lord of the Rings I figured that I would be hooked and so far I've been a happy listener (laughs) I can imagine that there are people, once they discover that I'm a Dutch priest talking about gaming and the Lord of the Rings, will run away as fast as they can. You know, it can't be good. It's a priest. What's he doing in the in Middle Earth? Oh, man. A few comments on the second episode, which I enjoyed. The tabletop RPG published by Decipher, the Lord of the Rings role-playing game that I talked about in the second uh, episode of this podcast, is unfortunately out of print. 
but it's really worth looking at. It does a good job combining the books with the films and uh, into an enjoyable and faithful take on Middle Earth. Um, let's see, who, is, who actually writes this? <laughs> I forgot to... I forgot to, to write down the name. <laughs> I'm sorry. But uh, it's a, a seminary student from San Anselmo, which is near San Francisco in California. And in his spare time, he enjoys playing role-playing games. And um, I'm sorry I forgot your name. <laughs> the writer of this email also mentions a small mistake. I said that Bilbo killed the dragon smog in The Hobbit, but of course, that was Bard of Dale and his Black Arrow. Yes, you're totally right. It's been a while since I read uh, the uh, the Hobbit. I should really pick that book up again and start reading it again, because I, I forgot about a lot of the details. So that was the um, that was the email for th- for this episode of the Secrets of the Lord of the Rings, and uh, I think it's time to wrap up. I want to thank you for for listening to this, and uh, I hope you'll be back. And in the meantime, tell your friends and family about this podcast. Uh, spread the word. And let me know what you think. Go over to www.sqpn.com for previous episodes of this podcast and for other podcasts that you might enjoy. SQPN stands for the StarQuest Production Network, and you can find it at sqpn.com. To announce this is the end. I'm going now. I bid you all a very fond farewell. Goodbye. SQPN. The best in Catholic podcasting.